I was hoping when a few months ago I was planning this uh, my sermon that I would somehow get to Romans 13 by this Sunday because all of Romans 13 says that all of God's authorities or, or all the governing authorities are God's servants and uh, we thought that would be very appropriate in the Sunday after um, our election plus Veterans Day. Uh, but we will get there. Uh, not quite as fast as I would hope. In fact, this Sunday um, I have cut uh, my sermon in half, so next week I'll also be in chapters 12, verses 3 through 8. Let's uh, pray together. Father, I thank You for Your grace to us that uh, You have given us faith in the Lord Jesus, and along with our faith, You have gifted us with spiritual gifts that we might serve the body of Christ, that we might build up the body of Christ, that, uh, that we might, um, in our service for You, um, use those gifts that You have first given to us so that as the body is built up, it might redound back to You for Your glory. Father, I ask that You would give us wisdom uh, and be our teacher as we open Your Holy Word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When you became a Christian, God did something for you, He did something in you, and He did something to you. He forgave all of your sins and He declared you righteous in His presence. And, at the, and he, um, when He did that, um, this is what we call justification. He did this for you. He declared you righteous. He forgave you of your sins. And at the very same time that He did this for you, He did something in you. He transformed you. He changed you from a person who did not love God into a person who loves God more than anything else in the world. And additionally, the Holy Spirit made your heart His home. This is what God has done in you. He's transformed you and He has sent the Holy Spirit to live in your soul. I've mentioned these things many times in my preaching, but I haven't really said very much about what God has done to you. So what has God done to you as a result of you becoming a Christian? Well, He has made you to be a part of the body of Christ. By definition, if you are a Christian, you are a part of His body, the church. Your membership in our local congregation is a derivative or a byproduct of your membership in the universal body of Christ. In other words, God expects you to join a local congregation if you are not a member of a local congregation because you belong to His body. Not only does He expect you to join a local congregation, God also expects you to be busy in it. So this leads us to a second thing that God has done for you. He has given you a spiritual gift so that you can use your gifting for the benefit 
and for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. And this is what this sermon is about this morning. Now for some reason, church membership has become optional in many people's minds. I assume that the reason it's become an option in people's minds is because of the overemphasis of individualism in our American culture. People come to church for what they can get out of it. If it benefits them, then they will come to church. And please don't misunderstand me when I say this. I want the church to be of tremendous and life-changing benefit to everyone who attends Westminster. But I would be less than truthful uh, if I gave the impression that the church exists for individual members. The church, rather, exists for the glory of Jesus Christ. And our membership in the body of Christ is for the, the purpose of serving Him. The benefit that we receive, and we receive a lot of benefit, but is simply a byproduct of our service uh, in His church. So that's why the Bible just assumes that as a Christian, you will join a local congregation and be active in it. I want you to look at verses 4 through 8 in our passage and see how God expects us to be an active part of the church and how He equips us with spiritual gifts that are to be used in His church. So beginning with verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It's instructive to notice how Paul uses here in this passage the analogy of a human body to describe the church. We are one body. One body. Therefore, we have one purpose and one direction. We're not just a huddled collection of individuals that gets together uh, once a week at 11 a.m. to uh, read and read the Bible and sing and, and pray and hear sermon. We are the body of Christ. And therefore, Christ has given us our purpose and our direction. Well, what is our purpose? What is our direction? Well, you know what our purpose and direction is because you know the Great Commission. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." We've just finished a national election. And our culture is very roiled right now. It feels very unsettled. Half the country is jubilant and optimistic, while the other half of the country believes that we won't survive the next four years. But if there had been a two percentage point swing in the other direction in just 
two different states. The country would be flipped around in regard to who would be optimistic and who would be pessimistic. Regardless of all that, our job as the body of Christ, our job as the church is to wade out into our culture and to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And in so doing, be the real transforming agents in our culture. A new president at his most effective, if our new president is more effective than our imaginations will allow us to believe, if he is, he's only able to make some external changes. But what our country needs is a complete transformation at the heart level. What government can combat the the satanic energy that is in evidence everywhere around our country? What government can what can government do to address the passive indifference to the things of God in our increasingly atheistic culture? Government can't do that. That is only something that the church can do. Only the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can meet head on the real needs of our godless culture. So we as a congregation, along with all the God-fearing, Christ-exalting, gospel-empowered churches, must march into our culture and address head-on the idolatries and the godlessness uh, that is all around us. We must be a church on the march. The gates of hell will not overcome the church. And you've heard this many times. Gates are a defensive um, instrument. Gates are meant to keep people out. And the, the picture that the Lord Jesus gives us is the church marching against the gates of hell, breaking open the gates of hell, walking out into godless culture, walking out into God-hating world, and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. That is our direction, to go and make disciples of all nations. We must be a church on the march. And therefore, we need to move as one body. But to do that effectively, we must recognize that we have been equipped individually for specific functions. We are one body with different gifts. Again, look at verse 6. Paul says, "...having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us." Next Sunday, we're going to look at our spiritual gifts that Christ has given to His church. But the thing that I want you to see this Sunday is that we are one body. We are to be moving with one purpose in one direction. And even though we have different gifts, we are to move in that one body. In fact, the different gifts that we have are for the, for the purpose of us being able to move effectively out into the world, to be that transforming agent of God uh, out in our world that so desperately needs Him. So, um, we're going to look at spiritual gifts next week, but this week, 
not only seeing that we're one body with different gifts, what we need to do is also see the way that people abuse spiritual gifts. And the most common abuse of spiritual gifts is related to pride. And we see this in verse 3. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's interesting to me. Paul does not introduce the subject of spiritual gifts until verse 6, but it's clear that that's what's on his mind in verse 3. So why does he mention this idea of pride? This idea of not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think and thinking of yourself in sober judgment. And he waits until verse 6 to mention that he's talking, he's saying this in relation to spiritual gifts. I think the reason why he mentions pride and the danger of pride, the temptation of pride, um, before he mentions spiritual gifts, is he knows that people commonly think of themselves more highly than they ought. And as it comes, as it relates to spiritual gifts, people tend to think that the gifts that God gives them gives them a higher standing in the church than other people. In other words, look at me as I have the spiritual gift and I ex- exercise it so expertly. Paul addresses the issue of pride before he gets around to talking about spiritual gifts because he wanted to emphasize how dangerous pride is in relation to spiritual gifts. He knows that spiritual gifts can so easily be a source of division within the body of Christ. Jealousy over one person's gifts can lead to interpersonal divisions. Or a person's inflated view of himself or herself because of their gifts can lead them to be ineffective in their service for Christ. Or another way that pride can come in is by a person being convinced that they have a certain gift when they don't. For instance, if if I were to think that I am a very good singer and think of myself more highly than I ought in that regard, and I told Chris, Hey, Chris, turn on my microphone when I sing so that everybody can hear me that would not benefit the body of Christ. It would not upbuild the body of Christ at all. And is there are there is this temptation because you want to have this gift or that gift that you think you have this gift when maybe you don't. I remember this um this guy in seminary. He was finishing his last year of seminary. And uh he did an internship in a church um, up in the Philadelphia area. And as he was going through his internship, the pastor who was overseeing his internship said, I'm sorry, you do not have the gifts of being a pastor. He had invested two and a half years of his life and money towards this. And he would not take that. He, He would not receive it. And so he went to someone else. And that other person that he went to independently said the same thing to him. And that another person went independently to him as well. 
and uh, finally he did heed uh, their their um, advice, and he did not go into the ministry. But uh, it's very easy for a person to so long after this gift or that gift, be so jealous after this gift or that gift, that you think you have a gift when maybe you don't. And we'll talk about that next week and how you can know what your gift is. But pride is usually... Well, pride is... Um, harmful to the way that we exercise our gifts or the way that we conceive of ourselves in our gifts that God gives us. Pride can, can easily harm or destroy a person's ministry. Pride is the most persuasive or pervasive and the most deadly of all sins. I struggle with pride. Now, I don't go around thinking that I'm the best preacher or pastor. I know that I'm far from that. Uh, I don't even allow myself to indulge a secret thought along those lines. But my struggle with pride is much more subtle and deceiving. It takes on many shades um, and, and different forms. My pride can even make me look more humble than I really am. It's insidious and it's dangerous. And it can easily turn me into a people pleaser. And I have to repent of my pride daily. In fact, my pride would, would prevent me from mentioning this to you publicly. Except that um, I know that everyone struggles with pride. Even if it's not the, the obvious high-minded bragging about oneself, Everyone does struggle with pride. And Paul knows this. He knows that we all struggle with inflated views of our own importance or inflated views of our own abilities or, or inflated views of our competence or our sincerity. And we could go right on down the list. Paul in verses 4 and 5 is teaching us that the body of Christ is interdependent. We belong to one body. And because because we have different gifts, we need each other to be complete and to be effective. But pride hinders that. Pride keeps people apart. Pride poisons our inner dependence. We normally think of pride as exalting us too much. But it also has the opposite effect as well. We can compare ourselves to somebody and we can think, they are so much better at this or that than I am that if I got involved in this or that, I'd mess things up. And so it's tempting to take a back seat to let the experts or let the really gifted people um, do all the work of the ministry. Jimbo's not here this morning, so I'll speak freely about him. You know, if you go out with Jimbo to do evangelism, it'd be very easy to just kind of sit back and let Him do it all. You know, because that's His gift. When you might be very effective as well. I remember um, one of the men that had some a, a big influence on my life was Bill Iverson. And uh, he's a, one of the great evangelists in our denomination. And... Um, 
he was telling me that there was a group of um, of high schoolers and college students that would come up to New Jersey where he was, and they would do street ministry. And he would say that the the college students from the inner city would think that they were all that and that they could relate to the people. And uh, their ministry was kind of ho-hum. But the, the, the uh, young men and young women from the country, from rural areas, came into the inner city and they, they were scared to death. But what they did was called on the name of the Lord. It humbled them. And they ended up, uh, invariably, he said, having a much more effective ministry than young, young men and women who had grown up in the inner city. And so, um, the, the pride of thinking that I've got it all together, uh, can, can really hinder us in our use of our gifts. And, uh, you know, there, there are people that have an about, that have an, um, elevated view of themselves. And they decide that they don't have the ability of others. And so pride kicks in and they, um, they fall back because they don't want to be embarrassed. It's not um, always laziness that keeps us sitting on our hands, but rather sometimes a subtle form of pride that thinks that, well, I'm not as good at somebody else, so I'm not as necessary. Jimbo was telling me yesterday that it was really neat to see uh, during the outreach that uh, different people were, as as they became more comfortable, um, were were reaching out to to the the people that were coming up for the yard sale and were doing the evangelism. And Jimbo said he was able to kind of sit back and watch them, and he rejoiced as they were stepping out in faith. So don't let your pride keep you sitting on your hands. Don't let your pride keep you sitting on the sidelines. Don't let your pride think that your gifts won't be missed. In fact, um, for, for you to get involved, it might mean that you mess up some. But don't let your pride keep you from exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given to you. So Paul tells us in verse 3 to think about ourselves with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now I can read your minds uh, when he says this, because some of you are saying to yourselves, well, I don't have as much faith as another person. And since verse 3 says that God assigns different faiths to different people, then I'm justified by sitting on the sidelines. I don't have as much faith as Jimbo. I don't have as much faith as somebody else in the congregation. So I'm not as necessary. Well, this idea of of thinking of yourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, that's really a a misunderstanding of verse 3. The word translated measure here is the Greek word... Um, metron, from which we get the word meter. 
and is most likely referring to an instrument for measuring rather than an amount. In other words, when Paul's saying, think of yourselves in accordance with the measure of faith that God has assigned, it refers to the standard rather than the amount. It's best translated to each person God has given faith as the measure. In other words, every believer has received the same faith from God. Every believer has received the same measure. And so, because every believer has received the same faith from God, therefore, no one should think that his or her gift is any more important or less important to God than any other gift. And because you have that gift, you should not think that you are any more or less important than anyone else in the congregation. I'm the pastor, but my spiritual gift is received by the same faith as you exercise. My faith does not elevate my spiritual gifting. I simply have a different role than others. And you have a different role than other people. This is what Paul means when he says in uh, 1 Corinthians, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. There is no one in this congregation who is less important than the pastor. There is no one who is more important than the pastor. Now since Christmas is fast approaching, I'm starting to see the, the uh, advertisements, which is mind-blowing to me. We could say that the presence under the spiritual tree all costs the same. They all cost the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Although they differ in kind, they do not differ in importance. They are all vital for growth and for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. And because each one of you has a gift, a spiritual gift in Christ, then you are no more important or less important than anyone else. I have two just very brief applications. First, uh, I want you over this week and as we prepare to look at this passage next week to think deeply about your self-identity. Think critically about where pride might be motivating you. I'm not saying be critical of yourself. You're a child of God. And you need to rejoice in your identity as a child of God. But I am saying examine yourself honestly. And by God's grace, root out the pride that is there. And it will grow back. But each time you root it out, You will grow in grace. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Love Him. Uh, Hang on to Him. Deny yourself that He might be all in all for you. 
His Holy Spirit has made your heart His home. He is about the, the, the business of transforming you. He is about the business of making you more like uh, Jesus Christ. So look to Him. Uh, recognize and honestly confess the pride and repent of it. Root it out. And continually root it out. And as you do so, you'll grow in Christ. And then secondly... Pray over chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 over this week. Ask God to reveal to you your spiritual gift and how you might use your spiritual gift uh, for Christ, for service in Christ's glory and for upbuilding the congregation here at Westminster. I'll preach on the spiritual gifts next week. But over this week, look to God. Um... And by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And as you do that, ask God to reveal to you the spiritual gift that He has given you so that you can use it for the body of Christ as we pray together. Father, I am so eager to talk about these spiritual gifts and to dive into to each one of them and Lord, for our congregation to be equipped with these spiritual gifts that our congregation might be a church on the move, a church uh, making disciples of all the nations, a church um, beating down the the gates of hell itself, that we might be um, the uh, transforming agent that our lost and dying world needs so badly. Father, I pray for the congregation over this week to um, to rejoice in you and to um, to rejoice in the gifts that you have given them. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.